We're starting a little bit late. We'll get straight to it. Yesterday's daf was daf zayin. Today is daf ches. We'll do a chazar of yesterday's daf. A review of yesterday's daf. We get, we finished a, a perek, and today we'll start uh, the new perek. Amir Hashem. Daf ches. So uh, we are learning a little inishmas from Abbas Shmuel Shimon Meir Neshama Abneliya. Also Chayisara Abbas Yudaleib. May her neshama amnaliya as well as Daniel Bernet Baruch Ben Yudleib and Al Aveini and Naftali Yosef Ben Chaim Nissan Alevi and Rafua Shalema right Rafua Shalema to anybody who needs Rafua. Okay, with that, let's get started onto the review. What did we learn in yesterday's daf? So we started off yesterday. Um, with the uh, uh, um, basically, I think it was the uh, Rav Yossi a little ways up on Daf Vav uh, Amid Beis talking about um, the ability to be no Deramarich when you're Yotze Laharik. And the question is, is that that's obvious? Even the Tanakhama never said anything about making a vow or making a promise to give something, give a donation. Um, we're talk- he was only talking about can he be vowed upon, meaning does he have any value? He never even talked about the other direction. So Gemara answers, you're right, but there is a dispute here. The dispute is, what if he does cause damage? Is he responsible for his damage? We saw two opinions, and that is the Tanakhama's opinion is, is that if he causes damage, he's chayv b'tashlum, and he must... He does not have to pay, and Rabbi Yossi holds that he does have to pay. And uh, we have two explanations as to what they're arguing about. Either whether inheritors are responsible to pay for those types of damages, that's one idea, or they are not responsible to pay those types of damages because it falls under the category of a milval pay, of a non-documented debt. It's not written down anywhere. It's just a debt. For, for damages and therefore it doesn't collect by the inheritors unless it's documented that's one way to look at it or the other way to look at it is that everybody agrees that if it's completely oh, um, non-documented you cannot collect from the, oh, from the inheritors but we're talking about over here that after all damages is a Torah law maybe Torah law it's also written and it's as if it's a written debt, and if it's a written debt, so then it's collectible even to inheritors, and that's the two sides, and that's the machlokas, that's the dispute. This was all one version as to what that dispute is. We did see a version B that we're talking about a different case. Uh, the case is somebody who's about to get, was taken to be put to death, and in the process, he caused harm to someone else on the way. Okay, so you can imagine he was tied up um, to be carried and in the jostling he uh, caused someone harm, physical harm. Or the other way, people caused him harm. So he is chaya for any harm that he causes, but they are pater for any harm they cause him. And Rav Shem ben says, no, if he causes harm to others, he also is not going to be responsible. Both ways. So if he punches the guy in the nose, he does not have to pay for those damages. Not that it's recommended, but it's just that he's not responsible to pay for that. Okay, just in case you're wondering. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, 
So the what is this dispute over here? Um, so the point is, will we stay the judgment of carrying out the punishment in the meantime till we deal with this monetary issue? And the answer is, why would we do that? We're not going to take off, we're not going to take off time and cause a, what we call an inu adin, uh, uh, which is. Uh, like a suffering for not carrying out the punishment in a timely manner due to uh, caring for a monetary payment. Um, so that's basically the gist of the issue over here. According to Rav Yosef, the question is not, everyone would agree that they're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to stop the, the punishment. But the question is, are we going to make the inheritors pay? Are we not going to make the inheritors pay? And it's a question of either Milval Pez, Govamin Yorshim, or not, or if we consider this a Milva Kiksuva Betoraz, Kiksuva Mishtaratami, and that is the other way to understand this dispute. Which took us to a question. Kumar asked the question, what if somebody digs a case is like this? Talked about a case where a guy dug a pit in the public area, and, um, and an animal fell on top of the guy while he was digging the pit, and, and killed the person who's digging the pit. So he got his punishment on the spot. Okay? Um, Did that really no, it's Did just that a case. Oh, okay. It's a case, right. It might have happened. I'm not saying. It might have happened. Stranger things definitely have happened. Okay? And the Gemara says uh, that, uh, first of all, the owner of the ox is not responsible at all for the fact that he killed the guy. And, um, and not only that, but if the ox got damaged, the inheritors of the guy is going to have to pay for that. Now, that basically takes sides on the, pre- the, pre- the previous question. How can the inheritors pay for the damages that the uh, builder of the, of the pit is responsible for? After all, he's long gone. So the Gemara says, in order to avoid the, the taking sides in this question, that we're talking about where there was a, they came to a court case and they established that he's obligated. You know, it says that he was killed. So the Gemara says he was only mostly killed. He was not fully killed. He was a trefa. He was about to die. He wasn't going to live very long. But he's alive enough to accept the judgment that he is monetarily responsible. Okay. Um, but the problem is, is that Nachman brought down that he was not only dead, but he was dead and buried because the, the bull... You know, kicked in some dirt and it covered him up. And it was like, yeah, he was buried on the spot, right? He didn't even need a burial place. Okay, um, so uh, the bottom line is, though, is that the, the the way to make sense out of the case, how it's possible, is that the judges sat at the at the edge of the pit and they ruled on him while he was down there about to die, and they said, oh, by the way, you're guilty for the damages to this cow, his bull. And he said, thank you very much. And then he expired. And that was it. Done. Okay. Covered up. He talked from the grave. Wow. Well, that was it. Right. He talked from the grave. Exactly. Beautiful story. But, I mean, people take it, you know, as a negative. My view is, is, that, is that they gave him the opportunity to, to, to die without any debt, debts. You know, to take care of all his responsibilities. So it's a good thing, actually. So the sitting of the, you know, he was about to die anyway. But at least... Let him be clean of, of, of having it on his conscience. After all, he's going up to heaven that, you know, he caused harm to the cow. 
he's going to pay for it and then he'll take care of it. It's his, it's his heirs that have to pay for True. Yeah, so. It's given Right, but it was once the ruling was given on him, then it's a debt already, and the debt is incurred, and the and the inheritors will have to pay for that. Okay, even though it, meaning we're saying this case in order to avoid taking sides in the previous machlokas. Okay, took us to the next thing. Somebody's about to be killed. Um, if he had a korban in process, the pro, the the korban can be continued and finished. Um, uh, but if he sins at this time while on the way so we don't deal with that sin to bring korbanos um, now what's the reason because again the same idea in the Anan we're not going to withhold his judgment right let's say he um, right you know he, he did something that warrants a, a korban inadvertently you can't say well you know what uh, let's um, wait I can bring the karba. No, that's you have the death penalty that's pending. We do, we don't push it off. We want to do it right away. Um, Abai says if that's true, so then uh, why in the first part do we let the carbon continue? The answer is because that's not holding back anything. The carbon was already pre-slaughtered, and now it's just a matter of following through with the karba. So the Gemara says if that's the case, why would we contrast the two cases this way? You could even be talking about even if you already did the sin previously, if you have the carbon ready to go, then we'll follow through with the carbon. But if you don't, then we won't even start it. The answer is that's exactly what we mean. Anytime you didn't yet start it, it's as if you sin now and you're not going to be responsible for it. Took us to the next case, which is an interesting corollary of the of this previous halacha, which is when a woman is taken out to be killed and she has a, a fetus in her womb, you don't wait for her to give birth. You put her to death with the baby. If she, however, is already on the birthing stool, so then we, um, then we wait till the baby's born, and then we carry out the death penalty. Um, and then we saw another halacha, which is interesting halacha, that if a woman kills, then you can benefit from her hair. That's not a problem. Okay, but if the animal, um, you can't use the, any part of the animal, um, uh, it's also not, no, you can't benefit at all. So the Gemara wanted to know uh, that the first halacha is quite obvious. Obviously, this fetus is part of her body, so why should we, why, why, why would I think otherwise? The answer is, is the theme that we consider the fetus um, a, actually a, a monetary, a, a property that belongs to the husband because that if somebody causes a miscarriage there's a monetary responsibility to the husband um, so why wouldn't maybe we would say that he, he shouldn't lose his money and that's why I have to tell you that, that, that we consider it her body and therefore it's um, um, it, there is no we don't wait at all now how do you know we don't the Gemara says we saw a source a mesu gam that the gum is encompassing even the fetus, um, not only the husband, not only the perpetrator, the man and the woman that were involved in the incest, but even the fetus. Okay. Um, next, we talked about is where, however, when she's sitting on the birthing stool, then we do wait, and the difference is, is because once the 
um, the the baby is already you know, dropped and is about to be ready to be born. That's why she's going to be going onto the um, onto the uh, the birthing stool. So then uh, we consider it a separate body because it's not in its location. It's already engaged to come out. Okay. Next we saw is the Rav Yudah, the name of Shmuel, said an interesting halacha, somebody who was taken out to be killed, uh, this woman, we basically would cause the baby to die before we kill her. Um, so they hit her on her stomach to cause the miscarriage in this case, so that the child should die first. It's preferable that the child die first, because otherwise it can lead to, um, if, the, if there's still some life in the child, so then it might come out after the mother's dead and that's particularly disgusting and we don't want that to happen. So, um, that means that uh, it's possible for the mother to die before the offspring and we're under the impression that that is an impossibility. Um, and uh, the proof of that is, is we talked about that in order for a child to inherit and to give over the inheritance, so he's inheriting from his mom and, inher- and giving over the inheritance to uh, his, his siblings from his father um, that needs him to be alive if he's in the womb then not because he always dies before the mother so we see that he always dies before the mother so the mother says that's true when the mother's just dying of natural needs but when the mother is being put to death so then it is indeed possible that the child will outlive the mother and that's why we have to do this process and even though it was a case of where the mother died where there was some kicks even after the mother's dead, that does not prove anything. It's no different than the tail of a lizard that can twitch even after it's detached. Um, next, we talked about uh, when the woman is on the birthing stool and she dies on Shabbos. You're allowed to carry, bring a knife to cut open her belly to take to save the child. Now, isn't that obvious? So the mother says, what are you doing wrong, actually, when you think about it? You're not even transgressing Shabbos. You're cutting a piece of meat at this juncture. There's no iser of, you know, you're, if you cut a, a living person, that's an iser in the Torah. You're not allowed to cut a living person. But uh, you're not cutting a living person. This is no different than a piece of meat at this juncture. So uh, Rabbah says that we're talking about over here is that the Kiddush is that you're even allowed to transgress by carrying the knife in the public domain. Why is that not obvious? Uh, because isn't that the same chidush that we're familiar with? That in cases of doubt, you're allowed to be mechal Shabbos. That's a basic mishnah. If there was a you know uh, a house came down on, on on people, we don't know if the people are in the house or not. We don't know if they're alive or not. We don't know if they're Jewish or not. You're allowed to remove the rubble to find out uh, because of those doubts, because of the possibility. So the Gemara says that's true, but you might have thought that's only over there because there's, a, um, there's someone that is alive, okay, that started out before. We knew there was somebody alive that lived there, okay? But over here, this is a fetus that never had an existing life yet. Maybe that is not the same responsibility to save the fetus. And that's why I have to tell you that we do, even to transgress Shabbos, even in cases of doubt. Next thing we talked about was the woman's hair, and we saw two explanations of what's the case of of her hair. Either we're talking about the case of, or Sarav explained that we're talking about where the woman said, I want my hair to go to my daughter, 
which is different than her hand because we're not talking about her actual hair, we're talking about her, her hair extensions, basically, a hair nachris, it's called a, a, what we call a wig, a shaita. Okay? Um, and that's only because she said, uh, give it. If not, it would be considered part of her body and be prohibited. Aye, if that's true, doesn't, I mean, are you sure about that? Because it seems that it was a question. But Yosef Berbchanina asked the question, does the hair of women who are righteous, um, who are in a city that was subverted to idolatry, does her hair get saved with her or not? And we explained that the case was talking about her shaital. And the answer is, no, we're not talking about what we're talking about. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Chanina's question was only the shaital that's sitting on the shaital head. That's not a, uh, you know, it's not on her. She's not wearing it. But here it's attached to her. So the only reason why it would actually be allowed uh, is if she says, I want to give it to my daughter. But if she doesn't say that, then it would be considered extension of her body and um, would be prohibited. Rav Nachman did not like this explanation of Rav. He says it doesn't fit into the context because we're comparing it to the animal. The, the woman's hair to the animal. And the animal, it's the animal's natural fur that's being discussed, obviously. So clearly that's what the case is by her as well. So Rav Nachman says that the reason why the hair is allowed is different than by the animal, because in the animal, the reason what makes the animal prohibited is the gemardin, the ruling that was issued that this animal it needs to be put to death, makes the entire animal prohibited to benefit. The, what makes the woman prohibited to benefit from is her death, not the ruling. And therefore, if she declares that I want the, you know, so therefore that's why the hair um, is going to be permissible. And in fact, it's interesting. We saw a quote from Levi. That backed up both sides, both Rav's version and Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's version, um, and that was the end of, where we left off at the end of the parish. So there's and no question that, that 